traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hey, so we just had the 59th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Uh, Next year is going to be a big deal. I mean, uh, it's always a big deal. And those of you old enough to remember, uh, probably remember where you were when you found out. But next year is the 60th anniversary. Hey, imagine um, in the days after the assassination, they bring in the suspect and you're sitting there watching TV and um, they bring in Lee Harvey Oswald. And you're like, wait a second. I know this guy. I (laughs) it happened to our next guest. Uh, his name is Paul Gregory. He's written a uh, a new book, fascinating. Uh, I actually downloaded it just now, and I have the hard copy as well. The book is called The Oswalds, An Untold Account of Marina and Lee, uh, available wherever books are sold. It's written by uh, Paul Gregory. Professor Gregory, uh, welcome to uh, WABC. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. So uh, November twenty second, 1963, Kennedy shot. You're watching the news. Uh, within a day or so, they show Oswald. What was your reaction? And how? And you you knew him beforehand. Just tell us the story. How did you get to know this guy? Well, there are two questions. Uh, one is where was I? Uh, the other is how did I get to know? With respect to the where was I, it was not days later. It was uh, around 4 p.m. Uh, the day of the assassination that uh, the reporters said they're bringing in a suspect. And here he comes, and there I see my friend, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, in in a white T-shirt, bruised face. Uh, As you can imagine, that was quite a shock. I was sitting with other students in front of the TV at the time. So um, I think I said, yes, I know that guy, but no one paid attention to me. In terms of uh, how I got to know them, uh, my father is Russian. He left Russia at the age of uh, around 20 and uh, became a petroleum engineer. But as a hobby, he taught Russian in the local library. So he would be the only one in Fort Worth noted for knowing Russian. So when Lee and Marina came back to the state, to our common hometown, Fort Worth, Lee went to my father to get a certificate saying that he was proficient in Russian. If there was any employment in this area, they should think of uh, Lee. So that's how it, how it all got started. Hey, by the way, uh, I actually read once he wasn't that good in Russian. Uh, it was ba- He never really mastered it. Uh, what did your dad say about his ability to uh, speak Russian? Was it all there, or did he have a lot of work to do? Uh, well, my, my uh, I would focus this question on my experience with Lee, because uh, he and I and Marina spoke Russian uh, during our time together. So we were together around uh, one and a half months, and I would go over to their house uh, a couple of times a week, and we would uh, speak Russian. I would take them to buy groceries, sightseeing, etc. So I had a good fix on his, his Russian. So how was it, sir? How was it, Professor? Was he good? Uh, it was he could express himself well. Uh, he knew all the words for uh, various foods, um, 
mechanical things and like that. So as a result of submersion in the language for three years, he could express himself uh, fluently in Russian but with terrible grammar. So he never mastered grammar. Uh, and, you know, there are these uh, conspiracy theories that he was sent to some KGB training camp when he spent his three years in in in, in Russia. Um, if that were the case, I would think the KGB would have taught him some grammar. But uh, he spoke, and he spoke fluently, and I was a good judge because uh, that's all we spoke. All right, so listen, I understand the part about your dad. He's the guy, you know, the, the certificate – but how did you end up hanging around him? I mean, how did that start? Well, it started the same way. Lee came into my father's office and got the certificate that he was fluent. And Lee said, we're staying with my brother, Robert. And here's a telephone number. So if you'd like to meet my wife, who's Russian, give us a call. My father did so. So he and I went together and uh, um, met Lee and Marina at uh, Robert Oswald's house, and that's how the um, relationship began. All right. And uh, by the way, i got to mention as an observation, it is interesting to hear you call him Lee. You know what I mean? I mean for, for, I've only heard him referred to as Oswald, but you know him, you knew him, and uh, Lee is, uh, you know, you're calling him by the first name, and it's appropriate. It's just a little bit, you know, it's different in a way. And, uh, of course, that's... Uh, that's uh, that's there in the book. All right. So, uh, well, let, let me say that um, in writing the book, I had to confront this issue. And it, if it was something that was sort of personal, a personal relationship thing, I would I would use Lee. If it were Oswald did this and Oswald did that, then it would be Oswald. All right. So um, you get to know this guy a little bit. What's he like? Uh, that's that's a question I hate to get because it requires a very long answer. Well, I mean, just give me the gist of it. Pretend we're on an it, elevator. It, it and... was um, uh, a loner and a loser. Uh, that's what comes to mind uh, first. Uh, he had uh, illusions or delusions of grandeur. He thought that he was going to return to the United States. He'd had three years of experience behind the Iron Curtain. He had written what he called his historic diary, and that was one reason for coming into my father, sort of to get started on uh, a publishing contract for his uh, historic diary. So he thought he would be something of a celebrity in the U.S., and when he and Marina landed at Dallas Love Field, uh, his first question is, where are the reporters? Yeah, and there weren't any. So this was someone who uh, felt that he had gotten sort of a, a, a bad shake uh, in his sure. life. Uh, he was owed something. He was a he was a uh, an important figure. He should go down in history. By the way, and this this was what his mother had taught him. So oh, Marguerite. Now she's a total. She was a total psycho, my understanding. Look, I want to, we'll get back sure. to that in a moment, if you don't mind, though. So you see this guy on TV, you know you know him, and uh, I guess the FBI, Secret Service, you know, they want to talk to you, they talk to your dad. Um, that must have been a very strange feeling, and I wonder if you ever felt any, not that you should have, but I can understand a certain natural, did you feel any guilt 
or what did you feel? It, that's just a weird thing to have been a friend, an associate of a presidential assassin. Uh, number one, how did it feel? And number two, how did the authorities treat you? Do they treat you like a you know a good guy or a bad guy? Well, uh, my answer to your second question is they treated me exceedingly well, uh, very politely and respectfully. And remember, I was 21 at the time, so I was just a kid. Uh, they found me um, early the next morning uh, in my when they came to my doorway, which was in Norman, Oklahoma, because I was a student there. I said, boy, you found me quickly. And I l- later learned in reading testimony that I was one of the few people who showed up on the radar at the at their term for me was as a known associate of uh, of Oswald. Yeah, you see, that doesn't sound good. I mean, it doesn't even like it sounds. No, it sounds it? like I did it. Right. Yeah. It's a negative connotation. So, mm-hmm. all right. So we got that part. So, how did you feel? How did you feel being labeled as such? And and just that had to be a very odd sensation. I would say just uh, I was in shock the whole time. Uh, so I, I would, if I were to pick one word, I would say shock. Uh, in terms of uh, feeling of guilt, you know, I, I think I told myself. There's just no way you can blame yourself for anything. Although uh, we did, I did a couple of things for the for Lee and Marina, which, uh, in retrospect, one could have said if that had not happened, then this wouldn't have happened. Such as uh, inviting them to meet the the Dallas Russians. We were the Fort Worth Russians, and it was that meeting that caused Lee and Marina to to move to Dallas and. And so on. So one can say, well, if the Gregories had not existed, uh, there would have been no assassination. But you could do this about a thousand other things. Sure. And let's I mean, Fort Worth. I mean, Kennedy was at Fort Worth. I mean, if he now you're right, you can't blame yourself, obviously. And but it's interesting. It's so interesting. All right. So let me just uh, you spend some time with him and you said he was, you know, kind of had a chip on his shoulder and uh, thought he was all this and. he was a loser, but you hung out with him multiple times. Uh, why did you? Why, why would you spend? You know, it's and it's your option. It's a free country. Why would you? What were you getting out of being around them? Well, you have to think back to the Cold War. Uh, a a person, male or female, newly arrived from the Soviet Union would have been a, a real oddity, a rarity, uh, and so. I, as a college student, someone who knew Russian and wanted to improve Russian, regarded this as a chance to uh, speak regularly with someone who was fresh from the Soviet Union and who could tell tell me about life in in the Soviet Union, which was basically a blackout uh, at that time. So the the idea was not for me to go over and and. Uh, speak with Lee, the idea was for me to go over and speak with Marina, uh, which I did, I think, two, three times a week. But Lee was always present there, too. And so quite often or most of the time, he would enter into the conversation, too. Mm. Hey, so this it is, was Marina I, that was the attraction and definitely not Lee. Let's talk about Marina for a moment. Uh, Marina, Lee Harvey Oswald's uh, widow, my understanding is she's still alive. And she lives somewhere down there in the Dallas region. Is that true? It's true. Um, 
I can't remember the name of it. It's a small town, so it's sort of a farming community. Mm. Uh, I think that community has pretty much protected her um, from probing eyes. Uh, I uh, have not talked to her since the assassination. I talked to her husband, her second husband, and uh, his job in life is to protect her. So uh, he pretty much does not allow others to speak with uh, Marina uh, almost 60 years after the the fact. All right. So let me get your thoughts, if you don't mind, and uh, I'm curious if they are in the book. I mean, who do you think killed Kennedy? You know, a lot of people don't think it was Oswald by himself. I personally do, by the way. But uh, where do you come on that? Uh, where do you come down on that question? Well, that was obviously the first question, the uh, Secret Service, when they picked me up on uh, the day after the assassination, wanted to know. Uh, I was in, in, in a police car driving to uh, Oklahoma City where they had an office, and I was hearing the radio reports coming in, which which more or less confirmed that Oswald had done it. You know, they're saying, yeah, we got the rifle. Yes, it, it is the assassination weapon and so forth. So they were asking me, you know, what, what do you think? And I, sa- and I said then, and I still believe it now, that this guy could not have been a part of a conspiracy. Um, he, he, he could not be a follower and he could not be a leader. Uh, he had the resources uh, to do the assassination, so it wasn't a high-tech thing. I think in order for him to prepare for the assassination, he needed like $200, and his um, his uh, wage was one one twenty-five an hour. And if you do the calculation, it, yeah. it, particularly for someone who who loves to save money, he had the resources and he had the he was he was a killer because it's often forgotten that he barely missed uh, assassinating the Dallas General General Walker. Hey, you mentioned his brother, Robert. You talked about him a moment ago. I actually spoke to his brother, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was an incredibly gentle and nice person. And I thought, just forget about my phone call for a moment, but everything I know about how he handled this situation, it was as, as good as anyone could handle it. He did. He handled it with dignity. He he was just an all-around gentleman. It was the one of the worst things that could ever happen to a family. But he withstood it, and he did it with dignity. That's my take on Robert Oswald. You have any thoughts on that? I I share the result. The I, I share your thoughts. Uh, he's one of the few very positive characters to come out of this uh, tragic tragic story. Um, my father translated for Marina the five uh, days after the assassination. So. He and Robert were cooped up with Marina and uh, kids and Secret Service for five days at the Six Flags Inn uh, between Dallas and Fort Worth. And uh, Robert comes across as the real hero and as someone who, who stood by his family no matter what. So it was up to Robert to prepare the funeral, which was not easy because no one wanted to have Oswald in, the, in their cemetery. So now, Robert comes across as as, as a real hero. Uh, Lee had a, a half-brother. Yeah. A John uh, Pick. John Pick. Hey, listen, do me a favor. Sure. i got to take a quick break. Will you stick around? I've I got I got something I want to follow up with you. Yeah, uh, go ahead. All right, so the book, by the way, uh, which I've got the hard copy, and I just bought the Kindle as well. I usually do that with books I like. The Oswalds, 
an untold account of Marina and Lee. If you are an assassination buff, as I am, and uh, however you come on, uh, come down on the issue, I think this is an important book. Uh, the Oswalds, available wherever books are sold by Paul R. Gregory. We'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, welcome back. We're on the phone with uh, an author. He just wrote a new book, which I find very fascinating. I uh, just got it. I'm making my way through it, uh, enjoying it very much. It's called The Oswalds. An Untold Account of Marina and Lee by Paul R. Kennedy. Uh, Professor Kennedy knew the Oswalds way back uh, before the assassination, and he's now telling the story. Hey, by the way, Professor, thanks for sticking around. Why are you writing this book now? I'm glad you did, but why Why now? I mean, this is a long time ago, and you're writing about your interactions with the Oswalds before the assassination. Why do it now? I, uh, First of all, I led a very busy life after the assassination, and I didn't know whether I was capable of writing a, a full-length book uh, at that point. I am now. It's sort of, It's become my profession. Uh, the main, uh, I would say two things. Uh, one is our family uh, felt a, a sense of shame, with, and this relates to one of your earlier questions, that we had associated with this person who was a who was a, a known communist, a, a marine deserter, uh, a someone who defected to the Soviet Union. So uh, our community and friends would have asked, well, you know, wh- what were you doing with that person? You know, why were you associating? So during my parents' lifetime, I felt I was not able to write such a book. Uh, so it was a sense of shame uh, that that really prevented this from being told. The second factor is we we know a lot more now than we did, uh, let's say, 1964, and that is uh, we have Oswald's uh, KGB file. We have uh, recent releases from CIA and uh, FBI wiretaps. So there's more uh, information now, but I would say it was a sense of shame and the fact that we did not want to share this story with the community. Yeah, no, I understand. Well, we know, no, uh, nothing to be ashamed of, of course. And, uh, Professor, this is an important contribution. By the way, a very successful professor. You got a master's in this, a Ph.D. in that, uh, Stanford, Harvard, you name it. Uh, well, uh, Professor, I appreciate it. The book is called The Oswalds, an untold account of Marina and Lee. Uh, many thanks for joining us. I enjoyed the conversation. All right, sir. All the best to you. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.